So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta podcast. The Active Atlanta podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. What is up, Atlanta, and welcome back to the Active Atlanta podcast. Today, guys, we have somebody who is on the show who I'm super excited to talk about, a wealth of knowledge um, from both personal and professional experiences. We have Dr. Kara Pepper. Uh, She's the founder and owner of Dr. Kara Pepper, MD. Um, And guys, she's doing some incredible, um, she's making some incredible steps forward for the healthcare profession uh, for both herself and the the entire industry. So uh, without further ado, uh, Dr. Kara, thank you so much for getting on the show here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, we were kind of chatting a little bit beforehand, but I would love to get a little bit of a background of um, exactly who you are and kind of like your your um, story with healthcare and your mission with your own, with your practice right now. Yeah. So uh, long before I was a physician, I was a professional ballet dancer. And, nice. uh, you know, due to some eating disorder related injuries, my career ended pretty abruptly. And so obviously I decided to go back to med school. I joke because doctors and dancers are really the same people. It's lifelong learning, lots of perfectionism, showing up at work, trying to get better and better at your job every day. But when I couldn't dance anymore, I brought all that perfectionism and workaholism with me into healthcare and looked great on paper. No one would have had any idea that I was always feeling like I was not quite enough or not sure that I was doing things correctly or worried about Uh, my own performance. And so I basically developed this overworking behavior that led to just catastrophic burnout about seven years into my career. Um, And on the outside, you know, everything looked fine, but internally, I really just felt like I wasn't doing well. And so I took a leave of absence to kind of get my life together, thinking I was the problem and everyone else had their their act together. But in reality, it helped me understand that a lot of people providing healthcare and patients trying to seek healthcare really feel like they're trying to do this alone and don't really know where to ask for help. Um, and there's a lot of like shame and loneliness in that. So they just feel like they're the problem. So yeah. ultimately that led me through this journey to become a coach. Um, so I help high achieving perfectionists who are struggling with career transition and burnout. But from a medical standpoint, it really helped me see our healthcare system for what it is. It is uh highly imperfect. It is designed to create money for insurance companies and patients are really struggling. And so I left 14 years into a very successful practice to start a practice of my own. So now I do telemedicine, which is delivering medicine to exactly where you are in a safe environment for everyone across the Southeast, especially folks struggling with eating disorders. And so creating a practice where I could truly take care of patients in the way that they need to be taken care of and take care of me was really the goal. So it's pretty amazing long route to where I am now. Oh my gosh. Well, there's, there's so much to unpack there. One, um, we work with, uh, we, we, we've worked with a number of ballet students, um, or athletes, um, in our practice and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that 
eating disorders is super pervasive through that entire mm-hmm. sport. Um, it's just, it's almost, and it's interesting when you talk to people in the sport, it's almost just like, yeah, kind of is what it like. It's so nonchalant the way it's kind of talked about. Right. right. Um, yeah. It's just like, it's part of the game. It's part of how you train. I'm like, whoa, this is wild. Right. And then, yeah. um, but then to your point too, just super dedicated to their craft. Like I think some of the most um, intense athletes I've ever had the opportunity to work with are, our 14 year old ballet students. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just from a maturity standpoint, from a dedication, a drive, like, you know, you go pro essentially so early in that sport that like, it kind of makes sense too. Um, and there's a lot of pressure with that, but, um, but then moving forward from that, <clears throat> so I can totally see the, the relation there between like uh provider ballet. I think that's a great parallel that you draw there. Yep. Um, but moving forward, I think it's so interesting. A couple of things that you said, um, the first one being, uh, that you thought that it was only you in this process and that, uh, it was, this was something that was wrong with you. And I feel like a lot of people have that, um, feeling, especially in the healthcare industry, the healthcare world is in an interesting place right now where, yeah. um, you have a lot of providers feeling like they're burnt out. Um, yep. and that's pervasive from the bottom down, right? Like anywhere from, um, your high level MDs to, um, any type of auxiliary uh, providers as well. So, um, why do you think that is? I think you kind of touched on it. And like, I feel like any provider or like, it kind of touches on the second point where your, uh, the healthcare system is set up to make money for insurance companies versus mm-hmm. um, provide healthcare for patients, <laughs> and which trickles into providers have to see a ton of people like it's, right. it, anyway, I will let you kind of answer the question. Like, um, why do you think like there's such a increased uh, rate of burnout within the healthcare industry right now? I think there's several main reasons. The first is that our healthcare system is fundamentally broken. And so for these high achieving, empathic, want to take great care of people, like we go into healthcare at any level because we want to take care of humans, um, we see the suffering that happens and we see how ill-equipped our system is at managing that. And so we fill in the gaps. And when I say Mm -hmm. we, I don't just mean physicians, as you pointed out, physical therapists, bedside nurses, NPs, PAs, pharmacists. The janitors cleaning the rooms in the hospital at every level, people are having to pitch in under the skies of like, patients deserve it. And don't you want to be a good team player? Which, of course, patients deserve access to high quality, affordable health care. But it comes at the price of the individuals. So that's one part. It's the personalities that go into that. Yep. And then the second part is this this um, just overwhelming administrative burden. There's Our system is set up to algorithm to know. So anytime you need an intervention for a patient, the insurance company will just say no. And now with AI, they can algorithm to know a lot faster. And so the burden then becomes on the individual providers to advocate for the patients to get the services that of course they deserve. Um, And so all of that compounds into just having to work harder, longer for free at personal sacrifice um, and to do what's right for the patients. And so we're really getting to a place where that's not sustainable. So you're seeing a Mm. lot of people leave the profession. Yeah, man. So true. I think like, um, and I think that's something that patients don't understand or don't see, they should not have to understand that or shouldn't have to see right. it. Right? But they shouldn't like, have to deal with that. They should be able yeah. to go and know that the person taking care of them is going to do what's right. And unfortunately, insurance companies are playing physician and they're the ones dictating whether or not patients can access care. Oh, man. And you know, like uh, in my world, we, um, we, that's, that's why we left insurance. That's why yeah. we, well, we never really were insurance, but that's why the providers come and work with us to leave insurance. Um, yeah. is because of that very issue. Like I remember, um, you know, on a, 
Cause this can, this is pervasive throughout the healthcare world. So like, it can be as serious as like needing like a, like a life, um, saving, like, um, imaging, right. Or life saving yeah. treatment. Um, in my world, it's just, it's, uh, you know, this person was, uh, needing more visits for their ACL rehab and, yeah. um, you know, they just, they hilariously only started off with like 12 visits that they're allowed. And then, uh, asked for more visits and then, or this provider, this particular provider asked for more visits and they asked for the documentation for it. So then they're like, okay, uh, we'll give you four visits. So, you know, that's in the world of ACL rehab, that's a, what, a week and a half maybe. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then right after that, he submitted for more and they said, ah, there's not been enough progress. We're not going to give you any more. And it's like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, uh, it's just super, super frustrating. And I'm sure that that that's a very, um, uh, uh, PG story, I guess you can say. For, <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> uh, compared to like what could, what can and does happen uh, in, in the healthcare space. Um, That's right. And I think you bring up some interesting things too about like providers having to do things that is of course, like kind of part of their job advocating for the patient and like making sure they're getting the, they're getting the image or getting like the treatment that they need and deserve. But when it gets to a point where like you're doing that at every turn, right? Like every right. single um, every single thing that you're trying to, every decision, every single decision you're trying to make as a provider is getting questioned, denied, and prove it. Right. Like, right. um, that's where, uh, it takes it to this, it gets escalated to a level that's so tough. Um, right. and I that's think great. like, you know, I did some, uh, PRN workout, um, uh, at this hospital, I won't say which one. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, super interesting to me that they even showed this, but like, uh, to your point about the administrative burden, um, mm -hmm. we, uh, they showed this chart where they showed like the amount of physicians. Oh, so like, you know, you had time here and amount mm -hmm. here. Um, they showed the amount of physicians that have been hired over the past, I don't know, 20 years, we'll say. And like, and it had like an appropriate, like it's like a small increase and a little bit of a plateau. Right. Um, yep. but then like you saw the administrative administration and it was like, whoosh, like yeah. through the Asymptotic. roof. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and then, and then unfortunately, like not only are providers feeling that, but then patients feel that yes. as well. Right. Um, yes. so you probably didn't feel like on top of all the demands that's going on with your love or with, uh, with your job and your high level of work, um, probably felt like you weren't able to deliver the high level of care that you had come accustomed to within your practice. Yeah. They call that moral injury, moral injury, which is this feeling of, I know what should be done. I know that I have the capacity to do it and my hands are tied. And so I'm mm -hmm. watching patients suffer. And I see it as myself, a patient, my family members are frequent flyers in doctor's offices. Um, and from the flip side of trying to provide that care, there's such a gap and patients need us to be well. They need us to be able to advocate for them. And so, at, I mean, we're at an all-time high where patients don't trust the healthcare system. They don't trust the people taking care of them. And understandably, they're like, you're just in it for the money. You're, you're not even taking care of me. And that's where this heartbreaking injury really happens because I see what we're doing to provide mediocre care, the amount of mm -hmm. effort that that takes, and our deep desire to take better care of patients and just that the system prevents that from being able to happen. So it's part of why I stepped out on my own. It's a hard decision about whether or not to take insurance, but truly the cost of seeing me now is less than what people were paying through their insurance companies and they get hour long appointments. And so I, I think that's the part that really gives me hope is that so many people are saying, we know how to take better care of patients. We're going to create systems in which we can do that. And patients are really benefiting from it. So yeah, um, I think that's that's the future of healthcare is stepping outside of the system that exists now.
Oh man, I'm, that's such a good point that you bring up too. Cause that's like, um, being out of network, that's a question that we get all the time as well. Yeah. Right. And it's like, uh, man, I promise you like this, like, uh, if you look at your, in most cases, of course, there's some that still have some baller insurances, right. Which is great. But then like, um, more and more people are being more proactive with their healthcare, right. Yeah. Which is amazing. So you're seeing a lot more people and it's this interesting concept from, um, well, I guess it's not all that groundbreaking, but it is interesting to the general pop of like healthcare 2.0 versus, or like these different evolutions of healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. Like healthcare 1.0 being like, you know, we recognize that uh, we can actually impact uh, health and that it's not just like God-given diseases or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that, and then so like, that's where things like, and then healthcare 2.0 is essentially from the microscope being invented. Like we realized like, oh, there's a world that we can't see that impacts our healthcare. So you see things like vaccines, penicillin, um, really groundbreaking medicines that get uh, created. And that's kind of where we've stayed in terms of like being able to prolong life without quality of life uh, by getting rid of um, the sick care that we've become so accustomed to. Right. And really what you're seeing a lot of providers do now <clears throat> and healthcare professionals do now is get fed up with saying like, that's enough, right? Because like, mm -hmm. um, as we've talked about, um, the healthcare industry has found a great way to monetize that at the at the expense of patients and providers. Um, so healthcare 3.0 is really being like, okay, can we be more proactive with our healthcare? That's can right. we be, can we take, can we take more, um, identity with our healthcare and be more involved instead of just being like, oh, well, this is, this is the way it is. And, uh, that's where you're seeing, um, really high level and skilled providers go and uh, to your point, right. Um, exactly like case in point, Dr. Care Pepper MD, right. Uh, so what with your practice, what are some of the things that you've noticed that, uh, or what, what, what are some things that you do differently than how you used to practice and how do you feel like that benefits your patients? So whenever I see a new patient, the first thing I say to them, obviously it's by telemedicine because I'm not seeing people in the same room is this practice is designed to not feel like your typical healthcare experience. I'm meeting nice. you in your safe space. You are in charge of your health. I'm an expert consultant to you. Your autonomy and your values will drive the decisions that we make here. And so we can spend this time just getting to know each other. We can talk about acute medical issues. But in essence, the intro to the practice is putting the patient back in the driver's seat. Hmm. And then we do a lot of values assessments, like what matters most to you? What is your definition of health? How can I support you in, in reaching those goals? Um, and really helping the patient understand that. And so, like I mentioned, I do a lot of eating disorder care, but I'll just comment about the rampant anti-fat bias that we have in our healthcare system. You know, often patients, when I say, well, what do you want to work on this year? They'll say, well, I just, I want to get healthier. And mm -hmm. then the next question is, well, what does that really mean to you? Like, what is healthy yeah. mean? And they're like, well, I, I just think I need to lose weight. I'm like, how is losing weight actually going to make you healthier? They're like, well, I just think that's what I should do. And I'm like, yeah. well, let's talk about what matters, right? Like, yeah. So, you know, this past week I had a woman come in and say, well, you know, what matters to me is I want to be able to play with my grandkids. Like it's, I have mobility problems. It hurts to like get on and off of the carpet. I'm like, okay, so we're talking about pain control, strength, balance, mobility. That's yeah. very different than I need to lose weight because that's yeah. what every other doctor has told me to do. So it's just a tiny example of how we can put the patient back in the driver's seat and give them the power to define what health means to them on their own terms yeah. and for me to help them achieve that. That's great. And, and like, uh, again, being able to have that full hour long appointment with the person to be able to put them in that driver's seat. If the appointments yeah. are 10 minutes long, there's like, there's somebody there's no that's way you talking. can address this stuff in 10 minutes, right? No. There's just, there simply isn't. And it's not that doctors don't want to, and physical therapists don't want to, right. it's that there are literally just so many minutes and you got to 
deal with the urgent stuff instead of really starting with the basics of how can we prevent illness, you know, instead of, you know, and how can we prevent illness? That's, yeah. <laughs> that's really the goal, not waiting until you're in catastrophic situation to try to unwind it. Yeah. With that, with that time frame of traditional healthcare, it's just like, it's putting out fires. It's all you're yeah. doing. Right. That's and right. like, it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, in, a, in an interesting way, um, it's kind of like how, when we, when we get the opportunity to talk with, uh, different like group fitness coaches, right. Mm-hmm. Like, um, group fitness is great because you get the community, you get all these things, but like, uh, the most dangerous position you can be, um, as a, as an athlete or a person or a person doing the exercise is like someone who doesn't really know what they're doing, but they also don't look like they're bad enough to like, they're going to like hurt themselves. Right. That's right. That's like, right. cause of it, cause eventually, you know, you could lead the issue anyway, that's where a lot of things get missed. And it's the same thing in like healthcare. It's like, well, you're not doing bad enough that like, we really need to justify all this stuff for your healthcare, take the time and resources to do that. But, uh, that's right. Traditional medicine was just like, well, I guess it's, let's just wait until it is that bad, right? Um, yeah, that's what you'll hear from patients all the time. Like I went to the doctor, I wasn't feeling well. They told me my labs were fine and sent me home. But without further investigation of what might actually be driving their symptoms. And I say this with deep compassion for my colleagues. Like I truly believe we're doing the best we can. Totally. But in a five to 10 minute visit, there's just not a way to really get to the root of what's mm-hmm. going on with patients. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So then- yeah. um, I think you bring up something interesting when you talk with your patients. What does healthcare even mean? Like, wh- how would you define healthcare? Yeah. So when I think about health, it's it's um, like you, you can think of it as like pie, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. so with each Love little pie. wedge of the pie, there's different domains of health, right? So people come to me for their physical health, but it is directly impacted by their mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, career success, financial health. Um, you know, do they feel safe in the environment? So, you know, the classic advice from clinicians is like, oh, you should just like exercise more. But like, if you don't feel safe leaving your home because you live in a place where gun violence is an issue, or you don't feel that, um, you know, your pain is well managed in your knees, like these, these are things that need to be managed in a very different way. And so, Another example would be like a patient who's diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, if they have the social support, if they have their faith intact, if they have great mental health, they're able to weather the storm of that physical health um, bump in the road. And so health is really comprehensive. And it didn't take me very long in practice practice to realize, like, unless I understood what was going on outside of the exam room, it was really hard to make reasonable recommendations for patients. And so health is more than just your body. It's everything else that leads to where your body is. Yeah, man. Um, internal and external uh, factors, I think. Yep. And like, um, and so multifactorial where, um, and you know, it is, it is so true. Like, uh, so when we work with patients, we want to make sure that like, um, we, we address like four or five main issues. We address, uh, their, their, um, movement quality, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of our bread and butter there. Right. As, as PTs. Um, and then, uh, so we look at movement quality, we look at sleep, uh, mm-hmm. We look at uh, stress management, um, mm-hmm. and then we look at community or connection, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and nutrition. We also look at nutrition. So, um, what's interesting about all those is obviously, like, if if we notice that somebody has like a has some very strong um, sleep issues, right, or mm-hmm. some uh, some deep rooted some uh, stress management issues. Uh, then we know like, okay, we need to bring somebody else into this team because like your knee pains never going to get better. If we don't address this incredibly, um, deep rooted issue, that's causing a ton of stress for you. Right. right. Um, if we, if we don't address, if you feel super, 
um, alone in your journey, uh, then like uh, it's going to be very hard for this back pain to go away. Right. Or if you're not sleeping well at night, then like um, it's going to be really tough for the, for that neck pain to go away. Right. Like I don't care what position you sleep in or what pillow you use. Right. Like it's not sleeping. Your body can't recover. It's not healing the way it needs to. Um, So yeah, that multifactorial approach is so important to true healthcare, right? And not just sick care, the ability to look at all these factors that goes into somebody's life is so important. And what an incredible experience it would be to have uh, your provider, your MD, your general, your, uh, your, your, your go-to consultant for your healthcare, be able to have the time to look at all that for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I love that you bring up social connection as one of those domains that you look at. Our Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, has written a book called Together, which really looks at the loneliness epidemic in Mm. America in particular. And we have this growing body of data looking at loneliness being just as lethal as heart disease. Mm. So we can't underestimate what that personal connection, especially coming out of COVID where everyone was so separated, the real need to be seen and heard and validated by a community of people, even if that community is just one person, having someone else who really gets you connection is hugely important for mental, emotional, physical health. So I love yeah. that you guys are looking at, you know, who's who's your hype team? Who's your supporters out, outside right. of this exam room? Oh my gosh. It's so important, right? Like if, uh, you know, and it's important for us to know from, uh, you know, like if, you feel like you're super alone and you don't have a supportive spouse or you don't have uh, anyone in your corner, then like, we know that we need to uh, one help uh, either. Like, is there some psychological issues that we need to, uh, Mm. or some mental health issues that we need to refer you out to? We've got a ton of, uh, we've got a ton of people we can uh, offer that for you. Um, You just need a hype person to help guide you to start that journey for you. Like, man, we can do that. That's what our model allows us to do. Right. So like, um, yes, that's super important. And then I think like, um, it's super interesting, right? Cause I think we've, we've noticed a lot more of this, like that communicate or that uh, connection and community piece. That's been something that we've always kind of like talked about with our clients, but it's really like a formalized pillar in what we look at now since the pandemic really. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, like just this, for example, like you see a lot more people working on zoom, right? Like mm-hmm. zoom has become hand in hand with an average workday. Now um, you see a lot of people not being able to get that personal connection. Have you seen, um, working from home or working on a computer more, have you seen that impact the um, healthcare of the patients that are coming into you? Or do you feel like that doesn't really take a huge play in anything? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a huge drive right now for people to be in person with folks. Mm -hmm. I mean, we certainly are seeing that ask from patients, like I want to be seen in person by my therapist, my physician, et cetera. Um, For me personally, it's a kind of a balance, like I'm able to reach a lot more people and give them the care that they need without having a brick and mortar office. Yeah. Um, but yes, that commu- that community connection it is really huge. And and it's not all connection. To be clear, a lot of workers are like, my job is the thing I do, not who I am. So I want to work remotely, but I want to have opportunities to be with people that I care about. So it's not across the board. Not everyone yeah. wants to hang out with their boss necessarily, but they no, want to sorry. Be able yeah, to that's connect. definitely what I meant. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean like from a working standpoint <laughs> yeah. exclusively. Yes. Sorry. I meant like it seems like isolation has become a more prominent thing yeah, um, that's right. within a post pandemic, right? Like that's right. Um, it's super easy. I mean, you take a busy mom, right? Like, or a busy parent where um, you work remote. So you, you're on, you're, and you're right. Work is just part of like, it's just part of your day, right? It's not mm-hmm. part of you. Um, and then 
you go and get your kid from daycare. You do the whole day routine with your kids. Like, it's just very easy to all of a sudden, like fall in a, in a, in a pattern of isolation mm-hmm. and you don't even realize you're slipping into it until you, and, right. and it cause and it can lead to some issues, at least what we've experienced. I'd be curious to see if you've experienced That's right. That. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's absolutely a question I ask every patient, like who, who's in your corner, who are your supporters? What do you like to do for fun? Like really, how are you connecting with the world around you so that people don't get so isolated? Yeah. And then, so then how does, uh, so how does telemedicine work then? Cause that's gotta be a, a fairly, uh, it's becoming more, uh, understood just because of the pandemic, which is great because like you said, it gives you the opportunity to work with, to re- work with and reach so many more people than you, than you would have been able to in a physical location. So, um, what does appointment look like? Like what are some, what are some of the, uh, differences, I guess, that you can expect if any, uh, from a physical appointment versus, uh, uh telemedicine? Yeah. So um, again, like the patients have power, so they're able to schedule their own appointments, give me the information that's relevant, communicate directly with me. I don't have all these support staff putting you know barriers between the, me and the patients. Um, we meet just like this, like you and I are on Zoom, um, which allows patients to be seen from wherever is most convenient for them. So it's interesting. You know, I have CEOs who bill thousands of dollars an hour, like to not leave their desk and to be able to see me for 30 minutes from their office is a big deal. And the same from, you know, moms who are trying to work from home or manage their children. They don't have to get daycare, et cetera. So they're able to be seen that way. The main dissent I hear from patients is like, well, how are you going to examine me? How are you going to put your hands on me? And, and I will say it, it matters sometimes as an internist. So much of what I do is in what people say and how they behave and what their actions are. And so 90, 95% of what I was doing in a brick and mortar office, I can do remotely because it's really in the conversation. If I don't know what the diagnosis is by the time we're done talking, we're in trouble. That means I've got to, that's more work to do. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, I order labs. So I'd send people to lab core requests, just like you would in many doctor's offices. If you need x-rays or imaging, I send you to a radiology facility. So from that standpoint, it's not a lot different than going to see a regular doctor. Um, and then I give patients all kinds of ways to do exams, right? They do their own vitals, blood pressure and stuff. They'll do, they'll do them their own and I'll watch them do that. And then a lot of physical exam movers, maneuvers are driven by the patient. As you know, you can test mm-hmm. all kinds of gait and range of motion and pain yeah. and touch there and tell me what that feels like. There's all kinds of ways to do that. So yeah. it will never be 100% substitution for in-person medicine, but it comes pretty close um, yeah. as long as you know what your limitations are. So. Yeah. I think you bring up a great point too. A lot of what... Um, in medicine, once you've been in it for a while, right. Or in healthcare, like once you've been in it for a while, um, you should be able to pick up on most issues yeah. through the subjective portion of your, of your, uh, exam. Right. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you are, like you said, like if, if as a provider, if you're losing, if you are leaving the subjective portion of an exam and you still don't know any idea about what's going on, that's a problem, right? Yeah. Like, there's something crazy going on. Right. right. Um, you know, I had this awesome mentor back in the day who told me like, um, you know, being a young gun, uh, fresh out of PT school. Um, I was like trying to find like all the crazy stuff. Right. Like, um, and, uh, this, my mentor was like, yo, Jake, uh, don't go looking for the scary stuff. That scary stuff will find you. Right. Like, (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) that's a good way of framing it. Yeah. He's like, if you're good at what he's like, if you're good and thorough with what you do, the scary stuff will find you. You don't have to go looking for it. And I'm like, oh man, I've taken that with me. And it's been so true. You know, like, um, we've had some really unfortunate things that we've caught where, you know, where, um, we've caught like a promoter neuron lesions or like, uh, like tumors and things like that. Mm -hmm. But like, not that we were looking for that per se. It's just the weird stuff sticks out, right? So 
Um, I think you bring up a really good point that um, with a skilled provider, you should be able to, um, or you not just should, but you can uh, pick up most of what's going on yeah. through just simple questions and listening. And that's what, um, and I think like, I don't think you would have to be that skilled to even necessarily do that. I think it's just what the model allows for, right? Like uh, being able to have the time to ask the appropriate questions. How good of a question asker can you be? Yeah. Um, and being able to ask the appropriate questions can lead you to the right diagnosis in a very uh, effective manner. So, um, yeah, and medicine's a team sport, right? Like, even in a brick and mortar office, there's no way for me to be everything to every patient. So, yep. I mean, I've been at this game for 18 years, so I know what my limits are. And so, you know, obviously, if a patient was seeing me by telemedicine with belly pain, I'd be like, you need to go see someone who can like yeah. mash on your belly, right? Yeah. Um, or if I had questions, I'd ask for a con- uh, you know a consultant colleague to to see the patient with me. So there's, I think it is from a risk and benefit analysis, it really provides care to people who need it in a way that feels safe and trauma informed um, and personalized. Um, And I think patients are desperate for high quality care right now that they can access and build those relationships um, with a team who's taking care of them. So, Totally. Yeah. And then the pros, man, we haven't even really touched on that. You kind of just glanced over in such a quick way. Like, you don't have to leave your office, right? Or your house. Like, uh, like, man, imagine like, I remember, I, so I got COVID once uh, throughout the pandemic so far and like knock on wood, but like it smoked me, it wrecked yeah. me, right? Like, and I remember like, uh, I tried to do this like uh, telemedicine appointment through like, and it was just through like uh, uh, this app that I found in a desperation mode, right? And it yeah. was like, uh, I wish I would have known someone like you because it would have made the experience so much better tr- than trying to drag myself into an urgent care um, feeling awful. Right. So like, there's that component too, where it's like, how nice is it just to be able to check in and see the, see the provider. Yeah. Yeah. And healthcare trauma is real. Like by the time most people are seeing me, they've experienced some sort of oh. traumatic healthcare experience. And so really to be able to say like, I'm here to support you and you don't have to go through the scaries of coming into the doctor's office and getting on the scale and, you know, having people who don't know you poke and prod you, like it really helps patients feel safe again and feel like they're in control, which I think is huge in terms of owning your own health. Oh my gosh. You're so right. Being, being in the help, being in your, in the driver's seat of your, as much as you want to be right. Cause some people are like, man, just tell me what I want to do right? Yeah, <laughs> or what I need. And totally. that's fine too. Yeah. Like, and, and, but like knowing that you have the ability to put your foot on and off the gas pedal is super mm-hmm. important. Um, yeah. Well, Kara, Dr. Pepper, this has been so uh, insightful and so helpful. Um, I really appreciate your time being on the podcast. If somebody wanted to learn more about you, re- if rather you're a uh, provider or physician who's experiencing some of the same burnout that that uh, Dr. Pepper talked about on the podcast here, or um, if you're um, um, some, a patient listening to this or uh, and you're looking for somebody to kind of help you with your healthcare, what would be some cool resources or cool ways for them to get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, if you can remember my name, you can find me. I'm yeah. highly searchable. So it's Kara with a K, Kara Pepper MD. That's my social media handle on everything. Kara Pepper MD is my website. Whether you're looking for coaching support or you're looking for a physician, um, that'll take you down the route that you need to. So um, I'm always um, open to feedback and I always love hearing from people and what they you know, what they hear out of conversations like this, because you and I covered a lot of information, but it's really interesting to me always what people retain. So I'm always interested yeah. to hear that. Awesome. Well, Dr. Pepper, thank you so much. Super easy to remember. Guys, we'll put all that in the the show notes as well. Of course, Um, thank you so much for your time and um, have a good rest of your day. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.